Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to Faith FM 87.6, or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. This is The Breakfast Show, positively different radio in the morning with the Double L team, Lyle and Lawson filling in for Mon while she is away. Of course, we are, the Double L team is missing the Mon factor here, or the M factor, I should say. I think she has uh, labelled it herself while she is away here on Faith FM, but we have some amazing things coming up in today's show, so you're going to want to stay with us. One of the uh, the highest level um, uh, Roman Catholic cardinal to be dumped from office in more than 100 years just took place. We're going to look at the reasons behind that and why and what the Catholic Church is going to try and do or should try and do to stop this kind of thing from happening. Uh, increasing scandal right there. We're going to have an interview with Mon. She's going to talk us all about Kenyan culture. The good, the bad and the ugly of Kenyan culture culture and we are going to learn um, yeah about how people in other parts of the world uh, live and function of course you'll be back later on in the show with a special interview so we're looking forward to that as well a lot of mon on our show from africa this morning we did promise you that we would be bringing you radio all the way from africa and that's exactly what we are doing now of course we know all about this because this is the delayed broadcast and by the way we should talk I should mention this coming up later in the show in our encounter with God section we have a bible study called the prophetic rise of islam so that's one that you're going to want to stay tuned for you do not want to miss out on that particular bible study did you know there is a whole chapter of the book of revelation that is dedicated to the rise of Islam and its implications for end time events. Goes through the whole history of uh, how it came to power. And uh, yeah, so that's all coming up and so much more. But before we run out of time, I do need to remind you that this is the delayed broadcast. And if you are feeling behind the times, if the news sounds like it is old, then that's because it is. And you need to get with the times. Don't be a Johnny come lately. Go to faithfm.com.au. Press play and you will have the live show right there. Alternatively, give us a call, 1-800-324-843 and lobby us to upgrade your system in your area so that you can have the live show right there where you are. We want to have as many of our transmitters on the live show as possible. Make a donation, make it happen. That would be fantastic. Or you can download the TuneIn Radio app. And you simply run it through your phone, your mobile device, whatever, run it through your headset, put it under your earmuffs if you're at work, uh, put it through your car stereo, and you'll have a perfect signal worldwide. Back in just a moment.
everybody and as we do at this time of the morning every morning we cross to mon in africa for our latest radio update mon good to have you on the show again oh thanks lyle thanks guys how's it all going over there i hope you're awesome i seriously like doing a good job of it without me (laughs) we've been struggling with a head cold of all things Oh, you poor little sods. I feel so sorry for you. I've gone yeah. off on my African adventure and you two have got the flu. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what's happening over there in Africa now? Well, I thought I might give you guys a bit of a different um, update today, a, bit of a, a difference um, uh, this morning. I'm not going <laughs> to confess to any more <laughs> contraband and smuggling like last time, but I thought I might tell you guys a little bit about Kenyan culture, what the life is like here, how I've been finding it, how it differs to Australia, about the people, about the food. Because I'm coming up to, I'm up to just after my halfway point um, for my Kenyan leg. I'm only a quarter of my way into my um, complete African trip. Uh, so I'm starting to get a sense of the country now, and yeah, I thought I might tell you guys a little bit about it. Cool, cool. Um, yeah, bring it on. Tell us all about it. Well, the first thing I want to tell you about, and this is like so much fun for me personally, <laughs> I know that Australians have a reputation of being really friendly, um, but actually I think Kenyans trump us hands down. They are just so unbelievably friendly. So you get this right. No matter... I, I've never seen this fail. Like, no matter how far away you are from them, if you wave, they will wave back. And I, I should make a footnote, though. It's not the kids that wave back. The kids rarely ever wave back. Wave back is always the adults. So when we go driving and we drive through villages to get to another village, I just, like, you know, me being Mon, my arm is, like, permanently flailing outside the van window, just waving at everybody. And they always, like, their eyes light up and I'll wave back. Um, even, even if they're like at the other side of a field, if they can distinguish a waving hand, they will wave in return. And it's just so much fun, especially because like sometimes when they're far away, they're just a little blur of, of black. And then suddenly you see this flash of white teeth across the face as this arm raises up and waves in response. So it's a lot of fun just waving at people and making them smile. Um, 
is I think to be honest is probably my favorite thing about this country just how wavy everyone is and it always just astounds me how waving is just some sort of universal uh non-verbal language um the other thing I wanted to share with you is a bit weird um especially because you know Kenya is a third world country and there is such uh great poverty here um is about their gates and fences <laughs> So it's a bit weird, I know. Um, so all the fences that I've seen are really, really slipshod, very ramshackle. They have um, usually about four or five rows of barbed wire, and then their posts are literally just twigs that they've picked up off the ground. So there's little different shapes and size twigs um, holding these fences up. But then the amazing thing is when you get to the gate, and the gates are just the most opulent, over-the-top, incredible feats <laughs> of art. I like, like seriously, like these are kind of gates that you could not even afford in Australia unless you're like a multi-millionaire. I don't know where they're getting these gates from. They must have some sort of wrought iron culture here um, where it must just be something that they do here, but their gates are just phenomenal um, and they're huge and they're gorgeous and they're different colours and <laughs> It's just it's just such a, a contrast seeing these little twiggy fences and then these amazing gates. Um anyway. <laughs> um Lyle, this will be interesting for you. Uh-huh. So a new car in Kenya. Um well what's considered to be a new car is any car that has in between forty to sixty thousand Ks on it. So that's considered to be a new car. There's actually no brand new new cars in Kenya. They're all imported from China. Um, so Kenya and China had a bit of a thing going on. Um, China is at the moment um, retiring or just tiring, putting down all the bitumen, a lot of the the really rough, um, dusty dirt roads, like the highways and stuff. They're actually putting, um, stealing them all. Uh, of course, nothing comes for free. They're wanting to get a hold of Kenya's natural resources, so they're kind of doing this little exchange thing at the moment. And so because they're all in cahoots together, uh, they import all their cars from China and a lot of their motorbikes. Motorbikes are here everywhere. It's one of the major modes of transportation. They're all from China. So that's what's considered a new car. So a bit of a contrast to what we consider a new car. When we hit 60,000 Ks, we start thinking about getting rid of the thing. But here it's like it's the start of the life. Okay, so so Chinese cars in Australia have a bit of a reputation of being, you know, rather um, inexpensively built um, is that is that sort of the, the the case over there? Do you have like all Chinese brands of cars then? Yeah, yeah. I have I've seen a bunch of stuff I've never heard of before. Um, the motorbikes, like I thought to myself, oh, they must all be Yamaha, but they're all I've never I've never seen any of the motorbike brands before. So I keep looking at the badges, and going, what is that? I wish I'd written them down for you, but like, cause I can't remember them because I'm you know a girl. But uh, yeah, it's all foreign foreign Chinese stuff. So. I'll show some pictures for you and, and send them through to the Facebook and you guys. Can yeah, I should, I should mention that we just uploaded um, oh, well over 100 photos um, in the last couple yes. of days. So go onto our Facebook page and have a look. There's some amazing shots there with captions and information. It's really, really sensational. Two albums there. Yes. Something that actually really annoys me about Kenya is um, there is a really uh, – a really intense culture where the women do all the work and the men are just incredibly lazy. Like I can't even exaggerate this. Driving driving any streets, city streets, country streets, in between, whatever it is, 
you will see men just napping on the side of the roads, under trees, on the median strips, all times of day and night, just napping, watching the world go by, having a yarn. And in between all this, there are women walking past the men with huge loads on their back, whether it's a massive bundle of sticks three times the size of them or just huge, huge, huge containers of water or, or planks of wood or anything. They're like, it's almost like they're pack horses and they're just lugging them at they're balancing them on their heads or they've got those straps around their foreheads. And it's just, it makes me so mad because they walk past these men who are just sitting there, you know, scratching their crotches and picking their noses and doing nothing. And these women are like breaking their backs and having back injuries and back pain. And, oh, it makes me so mad. But apparently it's extremely cultural here and that's like the way it just is the way it's supposed to be. That the women do all the work and the men just lounge around. Yeah, that's um, that's really disturbing, particularly coming from a developed country. That I, I don't know that I could deal well with that at all. Yeah, yeah. I, I find I find it disturbing just to think, you know, don't men have this sort of inbuilt protectiveness over women? Like, you know. I love that chivalrousness when they see a woman struggling to hold something that's heavy and just, you know, jump up and help her with it. And here it's almost like, no, the woman's supposed to do it. Anyway, don't let me go too on about that. I do want to talk about something really cute I saw. (laughs) So we were staying at a resort um, and, you know, the Kenyans is really, really, really quite upmarket. And for us, it's not, it's pretty average. Um, But they have a swimming pool, which is a rarity because Kenya is a landlocked country. And, um, and they actually will hire out the swimming pool to groups or to schools. And uh, and just the other day, I saw the most oh, heartwarming thing ever, Lyle. A school group came in, these little kids, and I'm guessing it was probably their first time ever swimming and also their first time ever having a shower. Um, because the rules of the pool are you have to have a shower before you get in the water. And so they have an outdoor shower. And the kids were just losing their minds. <laughs> out of water coming out of a shower head out of this tap. It, it got, they got so out of control that the teacher actually had to line the kids up on the other side of the pool from the shower and just send them like three at a time across to the shower so they could just try and stay under control. And they would just scream and shriek and some of them loved it and some of them were petrified. And then they were all confused about how the taps worked. And when the last one went through, she didn't even seem to realize that you had to turn the shower off because she jumped under there. She screamed and then she jumped back out and then she ran away and just left the shower running. And it was just so much fun. I was standing in the foyer just laughing at myself. And then they all collectively got in the kiddie pool and it was just it was just screaming for like five minutes nonstop. <laughs> the teacher just couldn't get them under control. It was so much fun. We just take swimming for granted so much in Australia because, you know, we're surrounded by it. We all live by the ocean. But these kids, it must have been their first time in water and they just loved it. That's fantastic. It's good to see kids that know how to play as well. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Do I have time for one more story? Uh, not really, actually. Mon, we are out of time, unfortunately. You're going to have to save that one for us for tomorrow, so write it down. Don't forget it. We do want to hear it, but right now we do need to move on with this song. And, uh, Mon, so good to talk to you in Africa again. No worries. Talk to you later.
the path we choose I've tried but failed to walk in someone else's shoes Strange how I've tried To walk this road alone Not knowing the things I might find That was Simeon with I'm Forgiven here on Faith FM as we move on into more serious subjects for today. But before we do, Lawson, let's have a clue for our quiz. All right, here we go. First clue for the quiz. Who am I? Okay, ready? I'm ready. Ready to go. I was the governor of Judea when the word of the Lord came to John the Baptist. Ooh. Oh, you would be incorrect, Yeah, sir. I know I'm incorrect on that one. <laughs> incorrect. So give us a call, 1-800-324-843. If you know who this is, you will get a prize. Okay, so, um, right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
What's up? Still, still, still trying to drag that one out of the abyss, but it's not there yet. Okay. All right. So the Vatican has just uh, summoned leaders to a summit, uh, uh, church leaders to a summit to discuss child abuse in the Vatican from February twenty-one to twenty-four. This is a good thing, and this is something they need to be discussing in detail. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is on the back of uh, Cardinal Theodore McCarrick, uh, who has, you know, for decades has been a source of scandal in the United States and was a source of scandal even before he became a cardinal and has finally, just this last Saturday, been expelled. Okay. Which is, you know, you, you, you shake your head in wonder and say, how, how did it take them so long to expel a pedophile priest? Mm. You know, it was an open secret that this man was openly gay. This was an open secret in Washington, D.C. before he became a cardinal. Um, and that, um, you know, and, and that he was abusing the confessional to gain sexual favors from, you know, um, seminarians and so forth. And amidst all this scandal, it just kept getting pushed under the rug and, and nothing was being done about it until eventually, under great pressure from the public, he was sentenced to a life of prayer and contemplation. So you know, you think okay. for a member of the clergy, this is what uh, this is what this is what people who are in the clergy like to do. You know, you and I like to spend time in prayer and contemplation. Yep. So yep. yeah, let's sentence this guy to his favourite thing. Yeah, um, <clears throat> which is but just create a ridiculous scandal. And once again, it has shown that the Roman Catholic Church, and this is part of the problem with big institutions, they move so incredibly slowly. Mm. Um, and they and it's you, it seems that they're being dragged kicking and screaming, uh, but eventually, yes, he just was uh, expelled from the priesthood. Mm. Uh, the first cardinal ever. Wonder makes you wonder what will happen to Cardinal Pell, who was the third highest uh, ranking uh, Vatican official mm. uh, in recent times. And uh, but yeah, I guess there'll be more on that story to come later in the year as it progresses. And, of course, he's the first cardinal in over 100 years to be expelled. Mm. And, interestingly enough, it was the Office of the Inquisition that stepped in to make this take place. So, uh, the Inquisition, of course, which has a uh, rather uh, terrible reputation from medieval times, but Mm. uh, here doing something that they really (laughs) should be doing. Yeah. Man, it's it's just wild. I just... I just can't get over like how ridiculous this is getting. Like it just gets worse and okay, worse. Okay. But and this worse. guy, this guy was found guilty not just of being a pedophile, but also of solicitation and using the confessional as a means of solita- solicitation. And I've this is a bit of a rant of mine, okay? Yeah. And, and I haven't had this rant for a while. In fact, yeah. I don't know that I've had this rant this year. Mm-hmm. Okay. But let, let let's talk about the confessional. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the confessional is a place in which you talk one-on-one with somebody and you express your deepest and innermost thoughts and sins to another human being. Mm. You have now given them the ultimate power of blackmail over you voluntarily. Is that a wise thing to do? There are many things that you need to talk to God alone about and nobody else. Mm. Uh, Don't be taking that to another human being. And of course, you know he was found guilty of using the uh, confessional to gain blackmail power over uh, over young men, and to use that to uh, gain uh, sexual favors and so forth. And um, 
yeah, it, 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 it's just you know you think about and you think about it from the standpoint of children. You know, you, he, you've got an institution that provides daily access to children by men in a one-on-one setting. No other church on the planet is allowed to mm. do that. Um, and then you have a requirement once you're in that setting to discuss the children's sexual practices and fantasies, details about the child's home life. You have an opportunity to find their vulnerability to abuse through questioning. Um, you can access details of a child's life that they don't even share with their parents. You can identify children that are vulnerable. Uh, it's an intimate environment. Intimate conversations are taking place. Information gained from uh, children that can be easily used for blackmail. We've been talking about that. And a priesthood that you know practices the medieval and unnatural doctrine of celibacy on top of it uh, just creates a, a, an environment for secrecy. And this is something that uh, as the Vatican gets together over the next few days, they need to address the issue of the confessional and mm. celibacy, and they need to abolish both. These are not biblical precedents. Yeah. You know, these, these are not biblical anything in the Bible. This is purely tradition within their church. Mm-hmm. And if something is tradition, you can get rid of it just as easily as you can create it in the first place. So just abolish it. Yeah. You know, let's 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 drain the swamp. Um, anyway. <clears throat> That's just a uh, a word of warning out there yeah. for all of our um, Roman Catholic friends who are listening to the program that the confession is not a good place to go. Take your sins to Jesus Christ. There is one mediator yeah. between God and man, the man Jesus, Jesus Christ. Christ. Absolutely. Okay, so Lawson, just moving on to other uh, stories. Both you and I left home at a young age. How were you? How old were you when you left home? Uh, fifteen. I was fifteen too. Well, there, there you go. Well, I moved overseas to you moved overseas to race motorbikes, and, and you I moved, became homeless. Yeah, you moved into an <laughs> apple picker's hut, was it? Yeah, that's right. Dude, that's oh, that is so cool. I wish I did that. Can we? Swap? Yes, I think there, I think there must be a whole bunch of people who wish they did that, right? <clears throat> but um, how often did you contact your parents while you were away? I think. You know, at, at least a couple of times a week. A couple of times a week. Uh, well, uh, yeah, I kind of yeah. had to. I remember, I remember going. <laughs> I remember after I moved out, going home um, a month later and talking to my, my dad for like the first time. Yeah, I think he knew that I was having a grand adventure, and he didn't want to um, spoil it for me by just sort of rocking up and seeing how I was doing. He wanted me to, to, let, to you, let, let you run let, wild, let me have my independence. <laughs> um, and then, and then I moved to the states when I was twenty. Mm. And, uh, of course, this was back in the day, Dawson, this was back in the day when to call overseas would cost your fortune. And so I was a poor student. I used to call home, um, you know, maybe once every six months. Yep. Um, you know, it cost me like fifty to eighty dollars to make a twenty-minute phone call. Just, just, just so you know, your family can yeah, make sure you're alive. You know, like, hey, Dad, I'm still alive. <laughs> You'd be like, oh, good, <laughs> <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> so I lived over there for a couple of years, and then one time I called him up, like, hey, Dad, uh, well, what would you think if I got to married to an American? He's like, oh, I'll marry whoever you want. I don't have to live with them. <laughs> Well, there you go. Anyway, the uh, LDS Church of Latter-day Saints has just made a new ruling that missionaries who do two years missionary service beginning from the age of 18 are now allowed to call home on a weekly basis instead of biannually. So in the past, they were only allowed to call uh, for like Mother's Day and Christmas Day, and now they can call weekly. Wait, wait, they're only allowed to call? Allowed to call. Yeah. There's a rule on there's, how much there's, they there's can a rule. call. That. And, and I actually look at this and I see some... <laughs> okay, wait, wait, wait. Before everybody just laughs this one off, um, I think that young people getting out 
and you know, living in a different part of the world, separate from their parents, is a great thing because it, it teaches independence. It is. You and I learnt so much independence, maybe a little too young, <laughs> but but we, you, you grow up so much faster. Yeah, for sure. And you end up with a level of maturity that is uh, is different from you know, you, you, you meet kids that are still you know twenty five years old and living at home and never lived away from home, mm. and they just don't have that same level of of uh, experience and maturity that a person who has done um, um, achieves. But the LDS were like, no, you need, to, you need to learn that independence and you need to free yourself from, you know, a lot of family dramas and entanglements oh, yeah, and romantic sure. relationships and focus on serving God. And I can, see some, I can see some credit in that. Now, biannually, that might be a bit of a stretch in today's world, but... Mm. Back when, you know, back in the early 90s, like 1992, that was about all you could afford to do anyway when you lived on the other side of the world. Yeah. But, um, of course, you know, they've had the, – the, the LDS Church has always fostered a letter-writing culture mm. um, where they have uh, the young people write letters, you know, on a daily, weekly basis, which then becomes almost like a journal of their entire experience. Mm. And I think that's healthy as well. But, uh, yeah – what would you? What are your thoughts? Give us a call. One eight hundred three two four eight four three is our number. Um, we'd love to hear from you and think, hear what you think on this one. This is uh, Carter and Carter, somebody bigger than you and I. Who made the mountain? Who made the tree? Who? The river flow to the sea, and who hung the moon in the starry sky? Somebody bigger than you and I. Who makes the flowers bloom in the spring? Who? the song for the robin to sing and who sends the rain when the earth is dry somebody bigger than you and I he lights the way when the road is long He keeps you company And with His love to guide you He walks beside you Just like He walks with me When I am weary Filled with despair Who gives me courage To go on from there And who gives me faith That will never die Somebody bigger Than you and I
than you and I. And who gives me faith that will never die? Somebody bigger than you. Welcome back to Faith FM. You are here with Mon. Guess where I am? No, I'm kidding. You know where I am. I'm in Kenya in the Nakuru district. It is a wonderful, beautiful day. I am going to make you so jealous right now. I am sitting on a balcony overlooking the beautiful Lake Nakuru. I can see hills and the Nakuru city. Oh, it's, I can see for days. It's just amazing. There's trees. There's people. I can see my favorite bird. I've got a new favorite bird. It's this African bird called a blue-cheeked superb starling. Go and look that up. It's just magnificent. They're flying all around this balcony. And joining me on this balcony is one of my fellow team members who's come all the way from Australia, from Queensland and uh, New South Wales. My bad, my bad. But someone near the border, right? And uh, joining me here in Kenya. And I've decided to pick her brain because as it turns out, this is not her first charity work that she's done. So welcome to the show, Diane Thompson. How are you, Diane? I'm good, thank you. Monica? Oh, I'm glad that you're sounding a bit better, Diane, because you got a bit sick almost as soon as we got here, didn't you? I did. I was too close, giving out glasses on the first day and you're at face level. And yes, I caught it. You poor thing. And then also there's, there's a lot of dust happening here in Kenya, isn't there? A lot of dust and it's not good for asthma and hay fever, but I'm surviving. Yeah, we keep Diane in your prayers, guys, because I've I've noticed that the um the soil here is a little bit different to Aussie soil. Like it's so light and fine that the, like as soon as you walk on it or drive over it, just these clouds of dust come up. Have you noticed that all the bushes are covered in the dust as well? Everything. Everything, Everything in the car that we take out, just dust every day. Yeah, it's... um. It's pretty dirty, and unfortunately, it is it is acting up um, Diane's uh, asthma and your sinuses and so forth. So yeah, but you're a trooper. You're an absolute trooper. You've been pushing through. You've been hanging in there. Very proud of you. Um, but we are gonna <clears throat> before we continue talking about Kenya, we are gonna rewind the clock, take this interview back to, I guess maybe the start of your journey with God. So <clears throat> tell us a little bit about, I guess where it started for you. Oh, it started. Uh Five. I was Church of Christ up until I was five, but my grandmother, great-grandmother, was a Seventh-day Adventist, so we then joined the Seventh-day Adventist Church, Victoria, Horsham, in Australia, and the whole family went. I had four sisters, father and mother, and at 13, I didn't think I'd get to an age where I could be baptised, and at 13, I thought, yes, and studied the steps of Christ and was baptised, which was the most amazing time of my life. I can still visualise it, and that's like... 50 years later. Wow, it's, it's so heartwarming when, you know, kids are so excited about God and they're on fire and they just, they can't wait to get baptized. It's such a, a sweet moment in their life. And I do wish that as adults, we often harnessed that young, uh, that on fire stage in kids' lives. I know that um, 
Uh, we have a couple of people in our conference there in North New South Wales, Darren Pratt, who's, uh, who is working at harnessing kids at that age and getting them, you know, preaching and, and teaching and doing all kinds of mission work. So, yeah, it's a, it's a great and wonderful moment in a kid's life. So you grew up Adventist and you've always sort of, have you always walked with the Lord, Diane? Have I always what, sorry? Walked with the Lord. Look, I did for a long for a long time, but then um, when I was married, uh, the, the gentleman that I married, we had lots of money, Ferraris, boats, holidays, all sorts of things, and it's easy to sit on the fence. Even though I was a believer, I sat on the fence for quite some years, quite a long time. So you've actually had, uh, the, I guess, maybe a, a rare experience that we don't often hear about you, but you you were essentially the rich man with a camel that had to get through the eye of the needle, weren't you? Absolutely, and it's so true. Is it really hard, like as someone who is wealthy, to actually fuel your need of God when you can basically fulfill all your earthly needs yourself? It is when your partner is not a Christian, and uh, he wasn't, so it was easy just to, to sort of side and... Off you go and do what life gives you. So you've been a, a, a pew-warming, fence-sitting, camel-riding kind of a Christian. Is that correct? <laughs> <laughs> Probably, but even though I still believed, it's crazy how you can you know what's right. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and you did have an experience that has, um, I guess, brought you off the fence. And uh, and you're, you, you, that's the reason why you're here today, because you're no longer sitting on the fence. So tell us a little bit about how that started. Okay, I moved from Melbourne to Ballina, New South Wales. And uh, the church I joined, which was a Ballina church, beautiful church, lovely people. And I thought, this is where I want to be. It's what I need to do. And it's been the best 14 years. Yeah, it, it, it really speaks of the importance of church family. You know, if a church is functioning well, it can help to change the hearts of the people in the church itself. It can really turn a pew warmer to someone who's, you know, hot for God, on fire for God. So you're, um, you go to Ballina Church, which is, I thought it was in Queensland, but you've corrected me. Northern New South Wales. My bad, Northern New I should know that because I'm in Northern New South Wales. <laughs> From Byron Bay. Oh, I gotcha, I gotcha. So like near Kingscliff? Uh, half, about 45 minutes, Kingscliff. Okay, that's not bad at all. So you, um, you go to Ballina Church and you've actually started to become actively involved. I have. And, uh, we, we had the opportunity of this more five loaves started 26 years ago with a Darcy Goodwin who was an Adventist, the most amazing man I've read about. His old van became available for Ballina and that, uh, 2016, the August, um, study lesson was all about helping the poor and the needy and the van came up there was in our Sabbath school and I, my hand just didn't just was God just lifted my hand we want that van wow that's incredible I love that started. Yeah, that's really great but you did just say a couple of things that I'm a little confused about and I'm sure our listeners are thinking what did she just say so what is five loaves five loaves is filled feeding the homeless and those that are in need, not necessarily just for food, but for company. So is this a bit like what I guess what people would call like a soup kitchen? They do call it a soup kitchen, and, and it was a soup kitchen in Lismore. But we do more than that. We um, desserts and and minestrone, what do you call it, lasagnas, curries, stews, casseroles. Yeah, you're making me hungry. <laughs> they get fed really well. And you just want to make them feel special because they don't feel special about themselves. So it's something important and to get their trust, gain their trust. And we've been going since October 2016, Tuesday and Thursday nights. 
Uh, we now have a team of five on Tuesday and five on Thursday, so we cook one in five, whereas before that we were cooking twice a week. And I'm going to cough. So this this is like out of a um like a community hall. Like, is there like a location where it happens, or do you just like take the van out to a park and then everyone just sits around the park like a picnic? No, what happens, we bought a whole lot of tables and chairs from Bunnings. Uh, we cook at home. We load our car up. We have the van set up with all our bits and pieces. And Adra Op Shop, we set outside, Adra Op Shop outside. We pray. We've been going for over two years now. And we pray when it rains, which it does, on the way there and on the way home. And pray before you get there and you just say, no, please don't rain on the people and it never has in all this time we've been wet packing up we've been wet setting up but during never he answers prayer that's amazing god has definitely got a sunshine isn't he look a friend of mine she's not a christian and she says she rings me and she said i hope you pray and die <laughs> amen amen so what is i suppose your role at five loaves you know are you the cook are you the uh the maitre d are you the the waitress like what's what's your role I started Five Lows with a Julie Love, but I run the whole concept of it for Ballina. It's a lot of work because I work full-time as well. And so I'll cook, and, but I love to sit and chat with the people themselves, uh, not just serve behind. Some just want to serve behind, but it's good to sit with them, grab a plate of food and eat with them. And it, I think it definitely goes a long way to giving back people some self-respect. You know, yeah. It look it does. Even I have a book that I write down, get the names of their the names and their birth dates, and ask them what special food or cake they might like cooked, because they don't have anyone that does that in their life, and we just add that little extra. Yeah, having someone cook for you specifically is like it's one of the number one things to make you feel special. And you know, reading through the Bible, you understand how important uh, the gift of hospitality is. Because you know, you look at Jesus's example, and he was always breaking bread with his disciples and with his followers, and and even just entire like, thousands, like you know, communities at large. Um, I guess that's why you got the name Five Loaves, right? <laughs> Absolutely. But look, we don't have a lot of people. I know they have um, four other charities in Ballina. Uh, Tuesday, Thursdays, the Masonic Lodge, Presbyterian every second Sabbath, and someone on a uh, Monday that cooks breakfast. So we do. We were the only ones that actually kept going over Christmas, New Year. They closed all the other feeding places, which I couldn't believe, closed for three weeks in over a period where people need it more. Did you have like an influx of more people at that time? To start with, no, because they thought we'd be closed like everyone else. And then when they realised, we did have more. Okay, wonderful. So if people want more information about Five Loaves in Ballina, where can they go to find that? We have a Facebook page, Five Loaves Ballina, and you will find a little bit more about us. And Ballina is B-A-L-L-I-N-A. Now, if you are wondering what the background noise is, you can probably hear some motorbikes and some tuk-tuks. You can hear dying coughing. <laughs> it is because we are um, just above a currently happening clinic uh, here in Kenya. There's a live clinic happening down below. I've... I've just stolen Diane away for a quick 15 minutes and um, there is a lot of action activity happening downstairs we can see people coming in uh, a lot of people riding their motorbikes a lot of Kenyans ride motorbikes so Chinese import uh, motorcycles and um, what do they call them uh, bike boys I think they call it something like that I think something like that and they have another name as well not tuk-tuk we've been riding <laughs> we've been riding around in tuk-tuks but they do have another name for the bikes and um 
And yeah, <laughs> it was rather. And then we have, of course, the the breeze. There's always a nice Kenyan breeze blowing, and it is blowing some dust up here that's making Diane and I a bit a bit throaty. But uh, speaking of Kenya. You're here on this mission trip with me. Is this your first time to Africa, by the way? Yes, it is. And uh, has it been what you thought it was going to be? It has been. I knew it would be humbling because, the you know, I'm helping people in, in, in Five Loaves. That is humbling. But this is more so. The people we help at Five Loaves, they have access to money, pensions and free health. But over here, with them having none of that, it's just amazing. Yeah, because they can't just go to Centrelink and line up and and get um, I don't want to say the word doll, but they can't get you know uh, government assistance here. There's nothing like that here, is there? There's nothing like it. But the thing is, you can give them a box of pencils, the children a box of pencils and a coloring book, and they're just ecstatic. Whereas if you give that to somebody in Melbourne, they go or you know Ballina, they'd look and go, well, "Where's my Xbox?" Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. And you and I have, I think, in particular, as well as the other Diane, because there's two Dianes here. I've been very confusing. Diane with two N's and Diane with one N. Uh, I think the three of us ladies have been particularly enjoying giving away stuff to the kids. What are some of the things that we've been giving? <sighs> Pencils, colouring books, frisbees, balls, clothing, recorders. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hula hoops, you name it. And they just love any little object. And that that's what's humbling. Yeah, it it is really humbling um, coming here and I guess seeing just the, the amount of poverty and how severe it is. And how gracious the people are for what we do. And sometimes it's funny because I remember uh, one of our clinics last week, we were giving away toys to the kids. They would play with them for about a minute, but then they just want to come back and watch. And the most entertaining thing for them was watching these mazungus, these white people, <laughs> dishing out medications. It was really cute. Um, so, so, Diane, what are some of the roles that you've been um, filling here at the clinic? Because, you know, we have a rotating uh, sort of schedule of different jobs that you can do. What are some of the ones that you've been doing and some of the ones you've been particularly enjoying? Uh, the first day was glasses, and I did love that because there was a little boy that was outside my window, 45 minutes, saying, I need glasses, I need glasses. He was there with about six other boys. And I thought, mm, I'd been told we don't give children glasses. And he'd been so persistent, and I asked if I could bring him in, and I did. And that was just like a tear-jerking moment because as soon as I gave him the book, he pulled it straight to his eyes. He couldn't see. We gave him the glasses and he could see and the look on his face. Now, that was amazing. Now, we, he could have slipped under the radar. So we have to be very careful there. That taught me something there. Really, have your eyes open. Yeah, it's true. I, I remember our team leaders saying that, you know, often with the medications, medications sometimes only last a little while, but with the glasses you can really just, you know, change a life forever. And, and uh, I think one of the most heartwarming reactions that we see is the people clapping and sometimes even crying with joy uh, when they receive their spectacles. So what else have you been doing? Because you did, you did glass, the glasses counter on the first day. I've been hiding in pharmacy ever since <laughs> because I have the cold. So and next week I'll be heading back to uh, all the other blood pressures, back to glasses and wherever else they need us really. So pharmacy people give you a script um, with what they need on there and then you then you uh, get them the medications and then also we divvy up into smaller portions, um, you know, the bulk medications that come in. I do want to leave that behind because I know, Diane, that you have an incredible heartwarming story and I'm going to try and not cry while you tell it uh, about a gentleman that we met um, when we were just driving through the city of Nakuru um, 
and you were pivotal in organizing, I guess, uh, just an absolutely life-changing event for this man. Tell us that story. This is young Jacob, who is uh, 38, I think. We found him on the streets of Nakuru when we were just driving. We said, look, could could you stop? And we went up to Jacob, uh, saw him sitting on the footpath. He couldn't speak. He only spoke Swahili. I found a guard that was close by and he came and was able to interpret because we wanted to buy him a wheelchair so he could have a bit of a life and interpreted and that was good. He didn't know what a wheelchair was so we showed him a picture on uh, Facebook. This is a wheelchair. His eyes lit up. I took down his phone number and the guard's phone numbers and off, off we went. And we were told it was very difficult to find wheelchairs in Nakuru. And I thought, oh, how is this going to happen? We have to make it happen. One of the girls at the hospice, she rang Zen, Bennett Zen. And uh, we found a wheelchair for 10,000 shillings, which is only about 130 Australian dollars. Um, phoned Jacob with an interpreter. And he said he was so excited. He was there, we're there within 10 minutes on a motorbike. He got a friend to take him on a motorbike, came around. And it was just amazing to give him this wheelchair, to see his face and to just change someone's life just so simply. I mean, simply for us, because 130 bucks is not much, but for him it's such a dramatic change because how did he, like, what was his condition? His condition, he was walking along on his bottom and using his hands. And the, the paving and the, when you see some photos, the ground here is very uneven. And he was filthy. He's a, he lives in the slums. He has nowhere of getting water, carrying water to start with. And his life would be very, very difficult. But they're still so humble and so gracious. Even with what they don't have, that's what is the most amazing thing, how these people are just so beautiful. Yeah, they they really are. And um, and Jacob, I think we managed uh, to find out from the interpreter because his legs, he still has legs, but they're like folded up underneath him. They are folded up because 10 years ago he contracted polio. And what he did before that, we don't know because we can't really speak with him that well. But he did get it 10 years ago. So his feet are all squashed and crumb. You know, it's, it's just sad. And... Yeah, I mean, polio is such a such a horrific, crippling disease. Um, before we came here, because you know, you know how we have to get all those injections before you come yeah. to Africa, and uh, and I had to go three times to the doctor because of three different courses. And on the second time, my doctor said to me, "There's been a polio outbreak in Kenya," and they had to give me extra injections. Um, so uh, polio, it might sound like an archaic kind of disease, but it's actually uh, unfortunately alive and thriving here in Kenya. And so we do sometimes see these people, um, you know, crawling along on their on their fists and on their backsides, a bit like gorillas, because um, that's the way they can get around. That's a good way of explaining it. But I know a lot of people back home don't believe in polio for children, but if you came over here and saw how it affects people, then I don't think there's an alternative. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely something that's important to get done. Um, Diane, I, you know, I, have a, I took a video of you giving the uh, wheelchair to Jacob, and I just want to tell you, like... I caught his face when they put him on the wheelchair. Just 
oh, I'm going to cry. Just the way his face lit up and he had this huge beaming smile. I'm going to be posting that um, up on the Faith FM Facebook site so you can all have a look and see this this just truly magical, blessed moment um, of seeing a, a crippled man getting his first ever wheelchair and uh, and hopefully getting some independence and some ability to turn his life around. Uh, so you can go ahead and watch that on the Faith FM Facebook site. I'll also stick it up on our Instagram, just a shorter one-minute clip of it. Um, but, Diane, we have come to the end of our time together. And <laughs> thank you so much for joining us here on the show. And uh, if you would like to get uh, in touch with any of the ministries that Diane and myself have been involved with, once again, you can head to Five Loaves Ballina on Facebook, or you can check out kenyahealth.org if you want to know more about uh, our mission trip here in Kenya. Um, we're going to just leave it there, and we're going to send it back to you guys in the studio. Lawson, Lyle, hope the L team is having a good time, just not too much of a good time without the M factor.
You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Forgiveness. It's easier said than done. But there's a program called Forgive to Live, designed to help us all improve our lives and discover the healing power of forgiveness. So if you're keen to take that first step, head to forgivetolive.org.au. 